This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Good morning, church. And uh, we want to extend a warm, warm, warm welcome to our guests as well. Welcome. Um, <clears throat> I want to start off by thanking God, thanking God for our Lord Jesus Christ, that through the cross where he shed his precious blood for us, where he shed his precious blood for our sins and poured out his love upon our hearts when we least deserved it, that through the cross he made us right with God, he reconciled us to God. But it didn't stop at the cross. Nope. He was buried, but he rose again. Amen. And because he rose again, we too might live in the newness of life Amen. for those who are in him. Amen. And when it comes to talking about topics on thirsting for God or desiring God as a church, we must understand that it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. And so let's open up in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the men and women and the people that you have here today. Thank you for the work that your spirit will do in their hearts. Open up our eyes to see and transform our minds and do a work upon us that we will talk about a million years into eternity from now. These are the people you love, Lord. And so now I pray also that you would Cause me to be faithful to your word, that you would give me wisdom and understanding to share with them the beauty and the treasure from Psalm 73. We ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for uh, the reading of Psalm 73. And it's going to be your first workout for today because it's a very long psalm. Psalm 73. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, in their, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, How can God know? 
Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. It's a great honor. It's a great honor and a privilege today to be here and to share with you the riches of God's word in Psalm 73. What a gift this chapter is to the church. What a gift, what a treasure this, these passages are to the church. Not only have they given a major contribution to me personally, but also for past generations of both Jewish and Christian believers. I remember when uh, Aaron told me that I would be speaking on Psalm 73, I was blown away because Psalm 73 has been my favorite psalm for years. A psalm that has sustained me for years. And I had the privilege today of sharing it with you. For centuries, Psalm 73 has stood as a solid anchor for the soul that reaches deep behind the veil into the very sanctuary of God. I was watching a video the other day of a massive ship had a 20-ton anchor. And I saw as the anchor was let down by a massive chain, probably bigger than this whole stage, and it hit the ocean floor so hard, and this anchor had hooks off to the side of it. And it would just sink right down into the ocean floor. 
And this anchor was keeping the ship up above from being tossed to and from by the waves and the current and the winds. And I said to myself, this is exactly what the psalmist does in this chapter. He reaches out and digs deep into the very presence of God and his goodness. Especially, especially in the midst of internal conflict, temptations and suffering, when the believer often feels cheated and begins to question and doubt God's goodness. Asaph was struggling with this internal conflict. And in the psalm, we see him pour his heart out before God completely transparent with God. This psalmist was honest with God. He was honest about his feelings. He didn't come with a mask. He didn't set out any boundaries. He didn't raise up any walls. There was no phoniness to him. And he pours out his heart before the God of the universe who knows our hearts better than we know them ourselves. In verse 1, Asaph says, God, you're good. I know that you're good. I know that you're good to Israel. I know that you're good to those who are pure in heart. But in verse 2 and 3, we see Asaph Uh, that a war begins to rage within his heart. A war, a conflict within his heart begins to come up, and, and the psalmist became depressed when he began to contrast or compare the uh, prosperity of the wicked or the seeming prosperity of the wicked with the difficulties of living a righteous life. He admits and confesses to God, Lord, I've been so tempted lately. I was so tempted. I admitted I was stumbling. I was slipping. I was so jealous of the wicked. I actually desired and wanted what they have. The wicked that live far from you, who disregard you, who never keep you in mind. And yet in verse 3, it says that they are prosperous. It's the word shalom. They enjoy great health in verse 4. They aren't troubled like the rest of us in verse 5. And not only that, they boast of it in their pride and their arrogance. They even wear it like a chain and two chains, <laughs> pride and arrogance. In their hearts, they have all they want. They're satisfied. According to verse 12, they're always at ease. And all of this they do by injustice and oppression and in verse 13, he's like, and me? What about me? Here I am living for you, and what do I have? I've done it all in vain. Uh, surely in vain I've kept my hands clean. 
I love what Pastor Ricardo from Redemption Tempe said. I'm going to steal this from him. He had, Asaph had, the older brother syndrome. How many of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Where the younger son asked the father for his inheritance and he takes the inheritance, he goes off to a far out land and he squanders all that he had in wild living, drinking and women. In Luke 15, 28, uh, the older brother was out in the field and as he came home and he drew near to the house, it says that he heard music playing and that he sent for the servant and asked, what's this about? And the servant says to him, your younger brother has come back and they've killed the fattened calf. And he became angry. The father came out to him. He was mad at his father. He told them, I served you all these years. I've obeyed you all these years. I've kept my hand clean all these years. He sounds just like Asaph. And he says, and for me, what have you done for me? You couldn't even give me a young goat so that I may eat it with my friends. And I want you guys to listen to this, what the father responds. So powerful. In verse 31, the father says to his older son, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Am I not enough? He was mad about the calf, and yet the whole time he had the father and all that the father was. He said, all that is mine is yours. Asaph's eyes and desires were so focused on everything he didn't have that he lost focus and took his attention off of what he did have, God. Now I'm going to say that again. Asaph's eyes, the psalmist's eyes and desires were so focused on everything he didn't have that he lost his focus and took his attention off of what he did have. God, was God not enough for him? And I've had to ask that question myself over the years when I begin to do the very same thing this psalmist does is, isn't God enough for me? In verse 15, there's 28 verses in the chapter, and you could divide them in half. In the first half, he's so busy seeing things from his perspective. And in the second half, it takes a radical transformation and begins to go the other way as he enters, the scriptures say, into the sanctuary of the Lord. Suddenly, things became clear to the psalmist. He goes from being downward focused to being upward focused. It's then when Asaph begins to see things from God's perspective rather than his own perspective. It's then when he realizes 
they don't have it better. God is better. He is the God of all creation. The cattle of a thousand hills and 10,000 hills are his. The heavens of the highest heavens of the highest heavens cannot contain him. And yet he says to each and every one of us today, I'm yours and you are mine. The wicked, they might enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, but it will never, ever truly satisfy. We've been there. I love what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, 25 through 26. It says, Moses would have rather suffered with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then the, it, it follows, it says, and he considered suffering for Christ greater treasure than all the riches of Egypt. How? Verse 26 says, he considered the reward. He looked to the payout. He considered the end. He looked to the reward. In the book, You Can Change by Tim Chester, um, he says, all too often, we think of holiness as giving up the pleasures of sin for some worthy but drab life. In other words, we think of giving up the pleasures of sin uh, for some worthy but dull or boring life. But holiness means recognizing that the pleasures of sin are empty and temporary while God is inviting us to magnificent, true, and full, and rich pleasures that last forevermore. The psalmist realized he had almost slipped, that he had almost stumbled when he envied the wicked. But when he saw things from God's perspective, in the end, the wicked were the ones that would slip that would stumble, that would be utterly destroyed. In verse 25 and 26, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life, and my, of my heart and my portion forever. I don't want to be misunderstood. If you have these things, we're not saying, oh, that you're part of the wicked, that you're heading to destruction, that you'll be utterly destroyed. But what we are saying is that the wicked had attained these things with injustice and extortion, with a total disregard for God. They chose these things as more precious than God, when in reality, they're not even worth being compared to God. In verse 25 and 26, he realizes, God, you're enough. 
He realizes, God, you are the one to be most desired, even than anything in heaven. I love what Francis Chan says. He says, it's like saying, do you want a billion dollars or a billion and one dollars? Everything in comparison to God is that way. What's a billion dollars and a billion and one dollars? But I would even go as far as to say that it's a zillion dollars. Nothing can compare to God. And I wanted to make a, a really uh, a major emphasis in what I'm about to say next. Psalm 73 shows us that having true prosperity or shalom, which was the word used in verse 3 and hinted at in verse 12, where it says they're always at ease, does not necessarily come from the health, wealth, power, and prosperity that the wicked seem to be experiencing, but that true, lasting, and meaningful prosperity or shalom comes from how intimately we experience or encounter God. I'm going to say that again. Psalm 73 shows us that having true prosperity or shalom does not necessarily come from the health and wealth and prosperity that the wicked seem to be experiencing. But Asaph realizes that true, lasting, and meaningful prosperity comes from how intimately we experience or encounter God. It's not, I come to God and he gives me all I want, then I'll feel satisfied. It's, I have God, therefore I have all that I need. He is enough. I am satisfied. What our hearts actually long for and desire is to have that which we lost back in the Garden of Eden. That emptiness, that, that hunger is to go back to what this world was originally intended to be. Our hearts desire shalom. And it's not found in anything this world can give or even the heavens because shalom only comes from the one who made us and created us. What does verse 28 say? It's good for me to be near God. I love the way the book, The Drama of Scripture by Michael Goheen and Greg Bartholomew, Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Augustine, who is viewed as one of the most important church fathers whose works influenced the development of Western Christianity and Western philosophy, said these words, You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Augustine had a tremendous struggle throughout his life because he had lived a very immoral life. He understood the struggle 
But for Augustine, spiritual formation, it begins with desire. But in our own flesh and in our own hearts and in our own strength, desire becomes twisted and misdirected. Because of sin, it begins to lust for and covet in all sorts of ways. John Calvin says that our hearts are idol factories. I believe one of the biggest idols that we have is the one that we see in the mirror every morning we wake up. In verse 27, it paints the picture that our hearts become as if they were spiritual prostitutes. Unfaithful to him. We are constantly chasing after things that could never satisfy the burning desires in our hearts. The solution, however, is not to destroy desire, but that it be transformed and redirected. Because we were made in the image of God. We're made in his imago Dei. We were made to desire. But we were made to desire and find our ultimate fulfillment in him. Amen. The creator of heaven and earth. Amen. He is our faithful, perfect husband in a sense. And we are to be his faithfully beloved wife. And I hope that illustration does not become a stumbling block to us. When you have two people who come to love one another, or you meet a guy or a girl who completely are in love with one another, they call each other every second of the day. They're texting every minute. Their heart beats with life when you know you're going to see them and meet them. You listen to their every word. You pledge your faithfulness to them. And you act as if no other person existed beside them. You look for every excuse to see each other. And you sacrifice almost anything just to see them even for a minute. God wants our intimacy with him. He wants our heart to say with the psalmist in verse 26, you are my portion. And today I pray that we would join the psalmist in entering into the sanctuary of God, into intimacy with God. And I want to ask some questions and that we would really meditate on them and search our hearts. Question number one, do you desire God more than anything, either in heaven or on earth? Have we been doubting God's goodness lately? Has temptation gotten a hold of us so that our feet are about to slip? Have we become spiritual prostitutes in our hearts? Or have we fallen for the lie that what sin offers is better than what God offers? And if for some reason you're struggling with those questions right now and you're like, well, how? How can I desire God? How can I thirst for God? I wanted to share with you guys uh, in this application five points from 
John Piper, they've been such a blessing in my life and have got me through the hardest and darkest of valleys. And it's taking you back to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, where he's about to go to the cross and give his life a ransom for all of us. And it's here where he brings his closest friends. Number one, he brings his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. His community. Number two, he opens his soul to them. He says to them, I'm sorrowful unto death. He was the king was transparent about his weakness. Number three, ask them to fight with you, to wage war with you, and to support you and watch with you in prayer. Just look for the ones that won't fall asleep. And four, when Christ was in the garden, he poured out his soul to the Father. And I wanted to share this quote with you, that if you're feeling far from God, it's probably because you haven't been near to God. There's this quote that says, 20 minutes of silence can accomplish more than endless hours of reading. Have we spent time in intimate prayer and fellowship with the Father? And number five, rest in the sovereignty of God's wisdom. Come what may, your will be done, O Lord. Christ understood suffering, trials, and temptation. He went to the cross where he trusted the Father's counsel. And afterward, he resurrected and was received into glory. And as we look at this psalm, in Psalm 73, 23 to 24, we see the gospel right there. That we should trust the Father. He has us by the right hand. And one day... He shall receive us into glory. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this time. I pray that these words would do a work in our heart, that they would transform us and mold us, that they would change us. Thank you, Father. You are amazing. We love you. In Jesus' name. We're going to have a couple of people come up, and they're going to share with you. They're going to pray with you what the Lord has revealed to them, what the Spirit has revealed to them as they me meditated on Psalm 73. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 